All right, we are now um, recording, so um, Carol Burrell, just watch what you say back there, okay? All right, do you all remember what we're talking about tonight? Finally, some of you have been looking. Yeah. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, Go to that chapter, Revelation 6, and as you're turning there, um, I believe next week is going to be our final final end-time study. I'm not sure yet exactly where we're going to go with it. There's, there's other things that we can talk about if I go on for months, but um, I may do just a little review, plus also just describe, you know, um, not describe, but tell you really the Church of God view of, of how we believe uh, what's going to happen um, at the end of time, okay? I'm going to wrap all that up. All right. Let's go ahead and read this passage here, Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. All right. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse who sat on it had a bow. Excuse me, he who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii. And do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. I frequently ask this question to begin, but what are your thoughts on this, or what have you heard, what have you uh, thought or been taught on this? Um, anybody? What have you heard that this might entail? I heard the white horse is already out. You heard that the white horse is already out? Out of the barn. Out of the barn? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anybody else? Are you afraid to say? Are you afraid to say what you've heard? Okay. All right. What is the popular theory today from those who uh, may adhere to the rapture and the premillennialist and all that? Uh, What they believe the four horsemen of the apocalypse refers to is divine judgment from God in the last days. What they believe is that God is going to send out four harbingers or warnings. That's another word for harbingers is warnings. Four warnings in the last days. Uh, 
the white horse is supposed to stand for pestilence, like locusts or lice or those things in the Bible that, you know, we, you know, grasshoppers and things like that. Uh, they believe that uh, a pestilence is going to cover the earth and this is going to wreak havoc. They believe that the red horse uh, refers to, hmm? War. Got it, war. Okay. Uh, they believe that the red horse refers to war. The black horse refers to Oil. what? Oil. Well, what is the main thought is um, famine. Okay, famine. That a famine's going to sweep over the world and uh, just destroy and kill many. And the pale horse refers to death. As the result, there's going to be many dead that will um, that will um, that will take place. Again, all of these judgments will be decreed and put upon the earth. So you can see where a lot of sensationalization has been put into um, this thought. Sells a lot of books, uh, good, good with movies, but is that the truth? Now, again, um, what I'm going to share with you is what I, we, the Church of God, feel describes this passage. Um, so let's go ahead and break each verse down and see where it leads us, okay? Let's go back to verse 1 and just break that down. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. Obviously I can't break down every single word. I'm just trying to give you a broad overview of what we feel this is. First off, uh, we see the Lamb. Who do we believe this might be talking about here? Jesus, okay? There's only one person who is worthy to be referred to as the Lamb. Notice the capital L that is probably in y'all's Bibles. So, yes, we believe that this is reference to Jesus, okay? Um, those are two passages. Actually, let's, let's look at that. Isaiah I'll just read it real quickly. You don't have to turn there. Um, Isaiah 53. He was oppressed, speaking of Jesus, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And if you go to John 129. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So here, and keep in mind, Revelation is a book of symbols, but John is seeing the Lamb that is representing uh, Jesus Christ. He is the only one that is worthy and able to open these seals. Okay, So right off the bat, we believe that these are coming from Jesus uh, Jesus is revealing these to John on the Isle of Patmos. The next verse, uh, chat, or verse 2, And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So here we have the white horse. 
white horse. Here, um, what we see is we have a horse and we have a rider. We uh, This rider has a bow. He has a crown that's also been given to him. And the rider is portrayed as being a conqueror. Anybody want to take a stab of what you think this might be? No, in the Church of God, what we, well, I guess you could say that, but in the Church, we believe, in the Church of God, we believe that this is a picture of the Church. Okay? The Church. Um, Horses are symbolic of governments, okay? Um, Government systems. So we see the four horses here, and uh, what we're going to see is they're symbolic of government or kingdom systems that have been here on the earth. And to be honest with you folks, uh, what we're going over tonight, we've already gone over. You will soon see, okay? But we believe this to be a picture of the church. And if you want to get a little bit of clarification with what I just said about uh, horses, not horses, but just kingdoms, Isaiah 9, popular passage, say it at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So here we have a picture of the church, okay? And uh, it depicts the church that has conquered. Does the church conquer, yes or no? Yes. The church conquers, and what does it conquer? Sin, okay? And it's conquering sin. Keep in mind, we're talking about the spiritual world here. We're talking about the spiritual realm here. And also notice that um, um, it does not capitalize the individual um, mentioned here. Okay? Now, it is capitalized in, in he. That's a new sentence, okay? The crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So that's not Jesus himself. Like some think it might be coming back to the earth and conquering, or else it might be in capital letters. Okay, it's not God, but what is happening here is the church has been born, and the church has been given power and authority to go out and conquer sin. Okay? The crowns that are referred to in this verse, we believe, are symbolic of the saints that have died down through the years. Okay? Um, let me put that up. Yeah, I have that there. Okay, so the crowns represent all of the saints who have died in the Lord. They become a crown um, symbolic of the saints. The bow that is mentioned in verse 2 is descriptive of the word of God. So the bow is shot and it represents the word of God. And the arrow, symbolic of the Holy Spirit, that empowers the bow, that empowers the word of God. 
So what did the word do? It started the it started the church on the day of Pentecost. And the church began spreading. It began conquering all of the governments and all of the kingdoms of the world. So here, we believe that the white horse represents the church and how she began conquering the souls of mankind. In the book of Acts, we see where thousands upon thousands began to be saved and to come into the church. Uh, They were snatched away from Satan's kingdom, and the church and the world conquered sin and ushered many souls into the kingdom of God. So that's the picture that we get with this white horse. It's conquering. There isn't anything, if you think about it, name one thing that can stand up to the church. There's nothing. There's no man-made system, uh, no man-made power, no physical power that can stand up to the church. It, the church, um, we are still the church. We will move forward, or whatever that song, or we will conquer, or whatever that is. Um, we are still the church. Keep pressing on. So the church is supposed to be a mighty fortress marching forward for God. And so this is the picture that we see with the white horse. Do not tell me that says 747 already in our clocks. Holy smoke. Verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. What is this talking about? The red horse. The red horse is depicting the time in history when the church, the white horse, was born and ushered upon the world scene. Okay? So, uh, the church was born at a time of this. The red horse, we believe, represents pagan Rome. See where some of this is overlapping now? We've talked about this when we talked about the Mark of the Beast. We talk about this when we talked about the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? So just hang in there with me. Um, Now, if you look, it says, um, And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should be killed. Some people who don't agree with this would say, Well, it says the word earth. And we know that pagan Rome did not rule the entire earth. So your view can't be right, Pastor Brock. But that word earth, let's not misunderstand that, okay? We contend that the word earth does not mean the entire earth or the entire world. Why do I say that? It's a general word referring to the ruling empire of that day within pagan Rome. Uh, go to Luke chapter 2, just to kind of reemphasize this. That might not be a big deal to you, but that might have stood out to some of you. Luke chapter 2. Okay. All right. Never thought that we'd be talking about the Christmas story here on July, June 14th, whatever it is. Yeah. It's almost half Christmas. You're right. Uh, Luke 2, 2 uh, 1 through 7, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinus was governing Syria. 
So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth. I'm just going to stop there. I'm not going to read all of that. But did you catch one of the things that we said there? All of the world. Okay. So, yeah. So my point is, do we believe that Caesar taxed or made the entire world come under? No. No. Do we believe that Australia came under uh, Caesar's rule and reign there? Or do we believe that North America, some places in the, in the world, were not even discovered yet? What it's referring to is, is the ruling area, realm of the Roman Empire. That's what it's talking about, and we understand that. So all, all the places, uh, as far as the Roman Empire could reach, that's where he took the census. That's what they meant when they said world. So when we talk about the, the word earth back in Revelation 6, it's, it's, um, it's talking about the, the reign and the rule of pagan Rome. Back to verse 4, Revelation 6. Speaks of a time of turmoil. Keep in mind that Revelation is symbolic, and it speaks to the matters of the heart, the soul, the spirit. So when the church was born, folks, a battle began. Do you realize that? A battle? Yeah, you're right. It was a spiritual battle. A battle began, a battle of the church, the white horse versus pagan Rome, the red horse. That was what was happening. There was a conflict going on here. The church was trying to spread its message of salvation through one man and one God into a society where there were many gods. Remember, uh, this, at the time, the society in that day was a lot of Greek mythology. Um, they believed um, in Mercury, the god of speed. They believed in Jupiter, the, the god of all gods. They believed in Bocchus, the god of wine. They believed in Zeus and Athena and, and Aphrodite and Diana and all of those Greek gods and goddesses. This was the world that the church was born into. So there was a battle going on. They were in turmoil. Um, so red, we believe, is symbolic of the blood of all the Christian martyrs that were killed during this time. Thousands upon thousands of Christians were killed in the arenas by lions. Thousands were burned at the stake. Just again, look at Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it clearly portrays what believers went through during the days of pagan Rome. However, the white horse stayed true and endured, and it eventually conquered the red horse. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Then in 317 A.D., the tide changed as, and we talked about this before, the tide changed as Constantine, the emperor, the Caesar, the emperor Constantine, converted to Christianity, and he embraced the Christian faith. Then in 323 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea, they voted to no longer persecute the Christians. A glorious proclamation. But they also decided to make Christianity the state religion, the new state religion. Now, sounds good, but can anyone see a problem with that? Think about that. What would be the problem that they're declaring this will now be the new state religion? That's one thing. The government's running it. Yeah. 
yeah. Instead of it becoming about the heart, about your will, about freely accepting the salvation of Jesus Christ, you were now forced. While this ended much of the bloodshed for believers, it also ushered in a time when Christianity would be forced upon society, thus taking away the real meaning of salvation, which only comes from a willing, repentant heart, which leads us to our next figure. So the red horse, we believe, was pagan Rome. And the church was a conquering church, and it conquered that time in history. Yes. It could. Uh, the, obviously, the Antichrist, we believe, is anyone who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, yes, it could be in that, because at that time, you're right, and there's part of the battle, there's part of the spiritual battle. Here's all these new Christians, and they're declaring that Jesus Christ is the Christ. There's some people that don't like that. So that's, that's going to be reason enough right there to, to kill people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next verse, next verse, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii, and do not harm the oil and the wine. Kind of crazy. The black horse. Um, when Constantine became Christian, a Christian, and the council at Nicaea voted to make Christianity the new state religion, in the early days, things were pretty good. But then man began to pervert God's ways and his word. Um, man began to rewrite God's word, began to interpret the Bible in a way never before seen. And when that began to happen, then deception and corruption began to enter into the church. And as the purity and the holiness of the white church turned into corrupt, evil darkness of the black horse. So at this time, we believe that the black horse represents what do we think? Deception, but what government system? What horse? So the first one was pagan Rome. We've studied it before. Ah, we believe it represents the Catholic Church, the time of the Catholic Church, or papalism. Papalism. Okay. Um, and the balance. We believe the balance is, uh, is symbolic of there being major injustices in the church. Gross imbalances were hard to ignore. Because mankind began to rewrite the word of God. Now, um, just hitting real quick on the wheat and the, and the barley and all of that. Um, wheat, when you grind it up, makes what? Flour. Chaff, you're right. Um, I think chaff separates is separated from the wheat. But when you grind up wheat, it makes flour. Flour makes what? Bread. So in this case, 
symbolic bread would be symbolic of what? What is the, what is what is bread? What is bread? Huh? The word of God. Okay. Symbolically speaking, in the, in the Bible, bread is is used to describe uh, the word of God. So here, the Catholic Church removed the wheat. They removed God's word and replaced it with man's word. The Catholic Church took out the flour and they put in their own ingredients. And if you know much about the Catholic Church, especially in the early days, that's what they did. They rewrote their own, they rewrote everything. Um, The oil and wine is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Here it's symbolic of how the Catholic Church, when they removed the word of God, they also removed the Holy Spirit from moving in hearts and lives. Um, let me read the, the New Living Translation says it like this. Some of you may have the New Living Translation. Uh, but when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come, I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a lo- Now just think about this. A loaf of wheat bread or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and the wine. So what the new translation says, it was uh, costing an entire day's wage. So um, today if you were to go down to IGA and buy three to four loaves of bread, how much would that cost roughly? Six, seven, eight dollars. Yeah. So anywhere, but you know, well, would it cost an entire day's wage? So if they, <laughs> you know, you take all, you take your four loaves, three to four loaves up, and they charge you several hundreds of dollars, you would go, something's wrong here. Something's out of kilter here. Someone's taking advantage of someone. And you can kind of see that kind of that translation makes it a little bit easier, and that's what was taking place during the early days of the Catholic Church. Okay? Um, it was more of a ripoff. It wasn't fair. Things were out of balance. Instead of people following the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, the message was being corrupted. Okay? The Catholic Church took the Word of God, the message of the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they corrupted it. In the justice halls of heaven, there were grave imbalances. Remember that the horses and their riders symbolized the systems of government, worldly government and kingdoms that were present at the time. And the sword represents their teachings and the ways that they ruled the people. Um, The time that the uh, red horse lasted, excuse me, the time, I think it's the black horse, Yes. The time that the black horse lasted, it lasted until the year, yeah, 1530 A.D. All right. Let me change that. So the black horse lasted to the year 1530 A.D., at which time an Augustine monk began to be troubled in his spirit. He was in the Catholic Church. Again, we've talked about this individual before. Can someone remind me who we're talking about now? Ah, Martin Luther. Martin Luther was in the Catholic Church. Okay. 
let me uh, let me expound on something here, um, just to kind of let you know the corruption that was in the Catholic Church. Um, Martin Luther was living at a time when the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, was trying to raise funds to build St. Peter's Basilica. You've heard of that, that edifice that's over in Europe. Um, they needed money. So they commissioned a man named Tetzel to raise the money. Tetzel created the practice of selling, you've heard of this in the Catholic Church, indulgences. You ever heard of indulgences before? Yeah, some of you may have heard of indulgences. I don't know if they still do that today. They might. I don't know. Uh, but this is the practice. Indulgences, they were a written letter, an edict from the Catholic Church, that if you bought it with money, they would give you a piece of paper, and it was good for one cent. Okay? So it basically was a get-out-of-jail-free card, <laughs> uh, in, in essence. Okay? So, you know, if for the sake of illustration, if, if you thought that you're going to have a pretty bad week of maybe four or five sins, you better buy four or five indulgences. So that when you went to the church and the priest, you could just hand them the paper and say, here you go. And he would say, okay, you're good. Okay? Um, Martin Luther hated this idea. See, God was stirring Martin Luther. And uh, kind of a, a funny side note, um, Tetzel sold some indulgences to some men who ended up being not-so-nice men. Um, not long after he sold them indulgences, these men found Tetzel's treasure chest. He, they, they found his box in the chest where he was keeping all the cash, all the money that had been raised for St. Peter's Basilica, and they stole it. Okay? Well, uh, somehow they found the men. Uh, Tetzel drugged the men into court before the magistrate uh, and charged them with, with uh, robbery. And as they uh, were charging, uh, they asked the men to step up to uh, the magistrate. The men just handed them their indulgences. And there's, yes, it came back to bite Tetzel. And there was nothing that Tetzel could do. They were not charged, and they got off scot-free. Interesting, isn't it? Just a little. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What a great system. Show me in the word of God where something like that is. It's pretty bad. So those are the kind of things. So in 1530, Martin Luther had had enough. And he had, he had assembled a list of some 95 grievances against the corrupt Catholic Church. He named these grievances theses. Again, you've heard us talk about this. And he nailed those 95 grievances or those 95 theses to the door of the Catholic Wittenberg Church. And he said that he was protesting against these 95 practices, these 95 religious positions of the Roman Catholic Church. 95, that'll tell you just how corrupt and how deceptive the Catholic Church had become at that time. Just a little side note, if you think about it. Now, now we, we talked about this as well. That's, um, he protested, and that's where we get the word 
Protestant. Okay, so Protestants were born out of Martin Luther protesting. Okay, uh, so I guess you know we can call ourselves Protestants, but if you think about it, if you're a Protestant, that means you kind of had to be a part of the Roman Catholic Church to begin with, right? If you're going to protest against it, most of you in here were probably not raised in Catholicism. So you, if you weren't raised in Catholicism, then it's kind of hard to protest against something that you never were a part of. So the question is, what are we? We're not really Protestants. What church do we belong to? We belong to the Church of God. We belong to the living God, the living church of God. We don't have to sign uh, role books or membership books. We don't have to attend classes. Uh, we are a part of the mighty church of God. Praise the Lord for that. Um, so Martin Luther's message at the time was the just shall not live by penance, shall not live by indulgences or the practice of transubstantiation. Do you know what the practice of transubstantiation is? That is the belief of the Catholic Church even to this day. They believe that when you take the Eucharist or the communion, that when you eat the bread, it actually turns into the body of Jesus. When you drink the juice or the wine, it actually turns into the blood of Jesus. And if you don't believe that, then you can't have remission of sins. Um, but, but Martin Luther realized it wasn't about all of these things. What he knew was that the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17 And when he got that, well, you talk about a spiritual epiphany. When he got that, boy, the lights went off. And um, the black horse was coming to its end. Although it's still very powerful, it's always been very powerful. This leads us to our final passage, and I need to hasten. Uh, Revelation 6, 7, and 8. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked to behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beast of the earth. You see, Martin Luther wanted to get back to New Testament living. He wanted to get back to the New Testament church. But when Martin Luther died, his followers started what church? The Lutheran church. However, they too began to persecute everyone who did not believe exactly as they did. They followed right into the ways of the Catholic church. You see, uh, the Catholic church had many people killed as well, burned at the stake, the Dark Ages. Um, and these Protestant uprisings began to follow in the same shoes. Uh, Zingwili, he introduced a state religion to Switzerland. John Calvin did the same. John Knox introduced a state re religion in Scotland. Henry VIII established what church? The Great Church of England. Okay? all of which persecuted and killed thousands upon thousands of people. Christians who would not bow to their way of thinking. You see, they took on the form of the Roman Catholic Church. Rituals and dogmas and creeds and habits and prayers and 
customs and traditions. And, and what ended up happening is uh, Protestantism took on a form of a cold, lifeless form of religion that was just a religion of, of, of rituals and edicts and decrees. So in many ways, the churches were a mixture of Christian truth and the Catholic air. Thus, we have the pale horse, okay? So we believe the pale horse represents Protestantism, okay? Protestantism. And it, too, removed the free will of man's salvation and forced men to obey Soon the church became a cold, formal body interested more in strict rituals, liturgies, and formal laws. When one envisions the color pale, it conjures up uh, images of deceased, someone who is deceased, okay? And a place where death occurs. In this sense, a cold death crept into the church. If you notice, it says there in verse 8, And uh, the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed him. Keep in mind, it's not a physical death that we're talking about, but death in the spiritual sense. And we know that when one sin is not taken care of spiritually, it leads to death, leads to hell eventually in Hades. Okay? Um, Almost done. When John saw these horses riding through history, we believe what he was seeing were the different governments, the different kingdoms, the different world religions, so to speak, and how they were killing and they were persecuting people. You can see that in every horse. There was death and there was persecution. People were hung. Uh, They were killed with the sword. They were put in arenas. They were eaten by uh, lions, eaten by the beast that are referred to here. Um, just a horrible time. Okay, so we believe that is kind of what is referred to in verse uh, chapter 8 here. Okay, Richard Bradley, if you, if you know anything in the Church of God and in times, Richard Bradley, um, um, he puts it, he describes it this way. We have, he says, we have the red horse, which is paganism, P. We have the black horse, which is papalism, P. You have the pale horse, which is Protestantism, P. You have three P's. What happens when you turn those P's upside down? (laughs) That's his way of looking at it. You know, we've talked about this before. Um, We also believe that 666 refers to the Latin word for the Pope, vicarious fele dei, which in Roman numerals comes up to 666. Basically, I mean, so we believe that there is an association there with the Pope, but really 666, folks, is just the number of man. Okay, it's the number of man. And here we have three man-made forms of religions uh, turn government systems. So here we can refer to 666 as a general premise for the man-made systems of the world. Okay, um, I'm about, about done here. Um, by the way, on 666... Um, Chuck Jr.'s wife, Barbie, she works at Toys R Us, and she said it's just hilarious to see people come in, and if they get back change, if the change is $6.66, she 
she said it's funny to see how people will go and they'll go buy something else just so they don't get $6.66 worth of change back. Crazy. So, all right, so that's our study on the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay? It's another picture, really, of what we talked about, um, what is taking place. But the beautiful picture is the white horse, the church of the living God, the pure, holy church, and it will conquer, it will go forward. It has, the true church has and will defeat, it, it defeated pagan Rome, it overcame the Catholic Church, it's over, and it will even overcome Protestantism, the true church of the living God. Okay, that concludes our study, and I'm going to turn my microphone off, and then we'll pray.